I had like a renewed sense of purpose. I had a kind of an understanding of self and how my cultural background integrates in with my, my authentic self um, and how I could really kind of continue that process and, and benefit other people through that understanding of myself. Delight in your isolation um, because it's in those moments where you'll truly center with yourself. Hold on, give me a second to collect myself because this is like a, a more emotional topic then I think like a lot of other topics for me. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Sagan Experience, the show where we explore life stories that help you become the absolute best version of yourself. Today, I am joined by Clay Carls. Clay is an assistant director of Revenue Management Consolidated Center at Hilton, a Dallas, Texas native now living in Dubai and a very good friend of mine from university and studying abroad in Shanghai together. Clay, welcome Thanks to the for show. Having me, Chris. Pleasure to be here. Absolutely. Um, that is one of the longest job titles <laughs> I think I've come across in, in a very Corporate long time. Politics 101. It goes into the nomenclature of uh, of your title, I think. <laughs> also, I have to say, over the time that I've known you, I think over like ten years now, uh, you also have one of the strongest beards uh, that I know, and this has been consistent uh, and it's always very well kept. So I guess I want to kick this off by asking you, like, what's the secret to maintaining this healthy looking set Honestly, of a beard? Genetics, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> no, but actually in Dubai, the beard <laughs> game is very strong here. Um, I think this is a, a city of very well manicured beards. Um, so fortunately, they have little barber shops everywhere that you can go in for kind of a weekly grooming, which uh, I don't know. That's kind of like the man version of a, a spa day, I guess. I guess men can also have spa days. That's that's not right to say, but that's like, you know, how you treat yourself. Um, so that's that's basically um, beard grooming 101 is just live in an area that has very strong beard game. <laughs> I love it. And I'm sure you, you fit in there uh, super well. <laughs> yep. Yep. I, actually, it's kind of funny because um, when I first moved here and the office, the Arabic speakers would come up to me and speak in Arabic. And then when I was like, ah, oh, sorry, sorry, um, still learning, still learning. They would say, your beard threw us off. We were convinced that you were from here. It's like, wow. Okay. Thank you so much. But no. <laughs> That's a yeah, great compliment, actually. Honestly, like, uh, and I started learning Arabic a little bit, um, but it's just ob so obvious that I'm not from there. Dallas, Texas comes through very strong in the <laughs> accent. <laughs> yeah, so, so I do want to get into kind of your move over there. Uh, but first, I want to take it back a little bit. Uh, so on your LinkedIn bio, the very first line, it says, uh, from a young age, my curiosity about the world created an interest in working in global diverse environments, mm -hmm. uh, which I love. So what, when did that early childhood kind of sense of curiosity of the world begin yeah. for you? Um, interesting question, because it started with a book that my mom's esthetician gave me. Um, so my mom would go in for her esthetician appointments uh, and I would just be sitting there, you know, reading magazines or coloring. This is maybe around five or six. Um, and my, or my mom's esthetician got me this big uh, kind of cartoon book of the world. Um, and in this book of the world, it was called It's a Big, Big World. I think you can still buy it on Amazon. Um, but it would have illustrations of different parts of the globe um, 
by country. So it would show like the natural topography or it would show um, kind of cultural um, landmarks, things like this about different countries in the world. Uh, and I loved that book. I mean, I still have it. It's still in my mom's uh, or my, my closet and my uh, childhood home. It's uh, something that really sparked that curiosity. I remember after getting that book, um, sitting at home for hours, just looking at the pictures and then charting out where I wanted to live. Um, so I think I was maybe six or seven when I told my mom that my ideal was to live in Paris, France. And my mom was like, absolutely mm. not. There's no family member of ours that lives there. Um, and I, you know, I made a cheeky Facebook post when I first moved to Shanghai that I was finally living on my childhood dream of moving to the Paris of the East. Um, so yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. They have the French concession, exactly. right? And a, a big uh, Parisian population. Yeah, Diet Paris, sort of. Um, no, it was, it was a really um, formative moment for me because I think that really opened my eyes to curiosity outside of uh, my bubble. You know, uh, at five or six, we didn't have that many travels um, or certainly none that were impressionable for me. But when I could see that tangible um, a difference of cultural experience in a cartoon format, it really engaged my young mind into thinking, okay, uh, not everything is barbecue, Tex-Mex, uh, uh, you know, what I grew up around. There, there are things much wider out there. Love that. Uh, and I do want to talk more about kind of your, your international like ventures and such. Because uh, it's one way, you know, we really like met and connected. Mm -hmm. But I do want to um, stick to uh, your childhood a little bit and talk a little bit about your family. Cause, uh, as long as I've known you, you've always been very, you know, fond about your family and, and your brothers and like your mom. Uh, so just tell me like a little bit about that, like growing up in kind of that environment, you know, with, with all these brothers and with, with a tight knit family, uh, you know, from the South. Yeah, totally. So I, as you mentioned, everyone's from the South, everyone lives in the South. It's a very, um, Southern centric family. Um, very strong family connection as a result. So um, I have one brother that lives at home. I have another brother that regularly goes back home, um, very tight knit still. Um, growing up, it was very, very uh, typical Southern experience. We went to church three times a week. Um, we uh, went to you know the, the same public school, had the same teachers. It was a very, very um, kind of Disney Channel childhood experience. Um, so to be honest, uh, when I started expressing all of this curiosity to go abroad and really um, getting out of the South, it was something that, that the whole family was like, oh, that's super interesting. But, you know, why? Uh, I think for, for a long time, um, the family members of mine that had, had stayed in the South were like, you know, this is kind of unusual um, that you would want to go so far when you have everything you need right here. Um, and I think this is where the, the slight difference was for me growing up. Um, I always wanted to, to get around and about. I think it was, it was just inside of me that I really wanted to explore and like actively learn through experience. Um, and yeah, I think that's, that's kind of what made my experience different from the rest of my family. Um, my family does love to travel. Uh, they go to various destinations around the world um, for a vacation. Uh, but I think when it comes to 
living, they were a little bit like, okay, right. We're very happy in the South. It's close to the family. It's close to what we know. Um, and as a result, when I, you know, packed up and moved to China, they were like, oh yeah, like, what is this? <laughs> a little bit of confusion, but um, I think they love it now because they love visiting. They love meeting me in different places around the world. Um, but yeah, as a kid, I would say that it was very um, confusing at first because I really wanted to, to travel and, um, and really live abroad. Uh, but since no one in my kind of direct network had done so, it, it was harder for me to kind of wrap my mind around, okay, what does the expat experience look like? What, um, what does it mean to, to live abroad when I'm actually living abroad? How do I manage that connection with family back home um, who is all very close and see each other very regularly? And how do I manage that um, and upkeep it in a way that, that still allows me to pursue that curiosity and kind of global enterprise? Yeah, um, that's really interesting to me because uh, I think there's like – a bit of a stereotype in the South of like, you know, most people don't travel a lot. Uh, you know, they kind of stick to their home and they, they have that community that they've always grew up in. And like, you know, their immediate and extended family have also kind of been in that same area. Typically, again, these are just kind of things you sort of, sort of hear. Uh, do you think a lot of that is like true? And if so, like perhaps why? Cause what you seem to be describing kind of fits that narrative a little yeah. bit. Uh, so just tell me kind of your, your take you on know, that. I think when I first, when I first moved to California for uh, university where we met, um, I, I remember having that impression myself and I would tell people I was from Dallas and I'll almost be a little bit like, Oh, but I'm not like that, you know? Um, but, but the more mm -hmm. I've lived abroad, the more pride that I feel like I have in where I'm from and uh, the cultural values, well, um, like the family values, I would say, and like a lot of the um, emphasis on the positive elements of that kind of culture. What I would say about the travel component is that, that people in the South are curious. I think they are um, interested to learn about these different places and interested to even go to these places. But I think as with anywhere, people get into a routine, people get into a habit. And as a result, you know, they um, will travel to places that are either more convenient or um, somewhere that they have family that have been to or that they have friends that have been to. So it's a, a bit more accessible and within their routine. Um, so I would never say that it's a, like a negative. Um, I certainly don't have any negative impressions um, towards that. Um, I think it's just generally more routine-based, convenience-based, and maybe, again, the word of mouth of having friends or family that have been before. Um, but, you know, every time I go back home, I feel like people are always super, super open-minded to the uh, experiences and kind of um, uh, items of international life that I talk about. Um, I talk about, you know, some of the idiosyncrasies in an international working environment and people are all ears, right? They'll be like, wow, okay. So like, um, you know, and, and sometimes they ask the questions that you're like, oh, right. Um, but, but for the most <laughs> part, it's, uh, it's very open-minded and very, um, it, I think it breaks the stereotype of what people would perceive about the South. Um, I think people, at least the, the ones that I know, um, are very curious in their own way. Yeah, I, I, honestly, I think it's probably a lot of like the media and, you know, yeah. I mean, any, any stereotype is really kind of amplified a lot and, you know, perhaps exaggerated. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I remember like when I yeah first went to 
university, uh, you know, there's a large percentage of people like from the South. And I remember getting to know a lot of them and all of, just like you said, uh, pretty much all of them that I knew maybe apart from like a very small handful were very curious about studying abroad. Yeah. You know, our, our, our university I had a great like study abroad program and, you know, everyone was very eager to go and explore. So, um, yeah, that's essentially what you described is also a similar experience that I had. Yeah. Um, and yeah, hopefully we can kind of, uh, start shattering that stereotype a little yeah. bit. You know, um, I think a lot of it's generational too. I think like maybe more than cultural mm -hmm. it had to do with, um, kind of the historical impression of the South. Um, and sometimes, you know, those, uh, stereotypes are easier to be validated when you have one example of it, maybe from a, a person long, long ago, um, or even from a rotten apple. Um, you know, they're, they're kind of rotten apples everywhere. And when you have a rotten apple that validates a stereotype, I think that that makes people kind of assume that everyone in the South is like that. Um, and, uh, you mm -hmm. know, like my whole family's there. So I'm, I'm, biased. Um, I have a lot of very good friends that are from there. So for me, I, I could be biased. Um, but I, I think that, you know, the rotten apples can't define the experience of that, that community. Um, and I think the same is true for the South. You know, it, it's funny because um, Southerners have a very strong impression of New York City and of people from New York. Um, and I have never personally experienced that negative stereotype of people being super direct or super um, aggressive or, or whatever it is. Um, it's probably the one time that someone from the South went to New York and came across someone that had spilled Starbucks on their briefcase in the morning or like, I don't know, got into a really crowded subway <laughs> car. You know, like they had one bad experience. And I think that has defined their stereotype. So I think in the other way, I think in the South, you know, you might meet the rotten apple from time to time, but really the the general consensus that I have, at least from Dallas, uh, is that people are super curious and super open to kind of these um, different mindsets and experiences. Yeah, totally. That's funny you say that. I always like whenever people say, well, in my experience, like this one thing happened that yeah. one time and it's like, well, it, it's like sample size of one, Literally, you know, yeah, like, yeah. uh, has everyone else had that same experience? Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, uh, so obviously for a lot of us who go, uh, you know, after high school around age 18, um, you know, either go to college or they, they start, uh, you know, going into the workforce, uh, or whatever it is, but usually around that time, um, you know, around the world in, in most cultures, uh, it's kind of a very transformative, you know, period in your life. Uh, you know, I, I got to really know you kind of our second year of college when we studied abroad, but, um, but I definitely saw like a, you know, big transformation, I think with you and like me, you're always like, just very curious, like mm -hmm. about the world, about different viewpoints, um, and all that. So just, just tell me a little bit about kind of, uh, you know, going into that period of your life, you know, and university, and then perhaps kind of in the beginning, uh, was there like a large adjustment to you? Did you feel like you kind of adapted pretty quickly? Uh, just tell me a little bit about that, that time in yeah, your life. Yeah, you know, in many ways, I feel like um, studying in LA was more of a study abroad for me than studying in Shanghai. Um, because I think the, huh. the culture of the South in Dallas and Texas is very remarkably different from that of California, of Southern California. Um, so 
I felt super lucky to, to get to Pepperdine, to get to Southern California. I thought that it was, you know, kind of the, um, the golden ticket to a new perspective, right? And like, I loved that, but it came with a lot of growing pains, right? Like I was very aware of um, kind of the um, mindsets and perspectives that I had that were maybe um, solidified. Um, or, or had kind of just become part of me that I really had to break out of. You know, there were things like alternative views of sexuality um, that within the first couple of years of Pepperdine became very important to me and how faith integrates with those views and how, you know, my, my life trajectory was going to integrate both of those. Um, faith is very important to me, but also being authentic to myself um, and really having that full confidence of self, um, how do I integrate those two? Um, so I was very fortunate to find people at the university that could reason with me and could kind of understand my perspective because ultimately I needed a little bit of that um, sounding board um, from people of different cultural backgrounds, but almost that like understood where I was coming from um, to help me through that. Um, so I would say, our, our second year where we were studying in Shanghai was one of the hardest years for me of my life. I think um, I felt regularly broken because <laughs> not only was I in a different country where people didn't speak the same language as me, um, but I was also around people that came from different parts of the U.S. and different parts of the world um, that were in my community that I also needed to learn from. Um, and I think for me, that was a very um, eye-opening, but but regularly um, I felt zero out of 10 uh, because I was, I was having to manifest all of these different ways of thinking and really understanding what was true to me. And that's a very stressful and arduous process. Um, you know, you can say very easily, um, oh yeah, like uh, I experienced a lot of growth in Shanghai, but really that comes at a cost. Um, so I felt like for, for me, um, kind of understanding how my life trajectory um, was going to be after understanding the truths that I learned from both Los Angeles and from Shanghai uh, was, was really a tough process. Um, but yeah, overall, uh, I felt like after I came back from study abroad, I had like a renewed sense of purpose. I had a kind of an understanding of self and how my cultural background integrates in with my my authentic self um, and how I could really kind of continue that process and, and benefit other people through that understanding of myself. Mm, I love that. Uh, tell me a bit more about uh, so when you were in Shanghai, like were there specific like moments or instances that kind of helped you with that decision making to like, you know, become the person you wanted to be? Because I feel like you know, in your childhood, you almost like, in a sense, like manifested this, this one or, or like need to like travel and explore. Mm. And, you know, now you're in this like, uh, you know, completely new like country and like continent. Uh, you know, I think these days in 2022, uh, Shanghai, most people speak, you know, English a lot more and not that they didn't when we went about 10 years ago. But, uh, you know, we were, I think we were definitely forced to kind of you know, learn, learn the language and really get a jump start on like the, the culture and the nuances there, uh, that come with that. Yeah. So, 
Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about, I guess, like your experience in China and if there were like specific moments that kind of helped you have these like realizations, yeah. uh, you know, to kind of grow and like better yourself. I, I think the biggest thing for me was really like centering. Um, I think I, I regularly felt isolated. I, I grew up in an environment where I never had like a shortage of friends or a shortage of connections. And even like when you're living in the States, you can talk to a Starbucks barista and that kind of fills your cup sometimes, right? Like it was very easy to not feel isolated in uh, the US. Whereas in China, uh, because of the communication barriers, um, you know, we had our study abroad group, which was great. And I loved our study abroad group. Um, but there were often times where I felt like I had to recenter and I had to get closer to myself because there was such an isolation from so many things. Um, and in that centering process, one of the things that really helped me was, I, again, I was getting to explore these different cultures and these different patterns of thinking and really live out my childhood dream um, 100%. But I was kind of internally like spiraling a little bit. Um, and one of the things that really grounded me was um, finding a faith community within Shanghai um, because it was almost a reminder of something that brought me great peace and great comfort um, from every chapter of my life. Um, you know, I was raised in a very uh, conservative and very religious household. Um, so for me, no matter um, what uh, deviation my views have from my traditional upbringing and my traditional religious views, um, faith is always something that brings me comfort as a, as a consequence. Um, and really recentering myself with that faith is something that uh, brought me a lot of comfort there. I think the other thing was recentering on the purpose of why I was in Shanghai. Um, so the, the kind of path that I would take for that is getting out and meeting people um, and learning and experiencing and asking questions. Um, and I remember, again, this it kind of comes at like a cringy cost sometimes because I would ask questions that people would be like, how do you not know that? You know, like even from people within our study abroad program, right? I remember, um, you know, you grew up in Brazil and then we also had another girl that grew up in Brazil. <laughs> and I remember asking something about Spanish and she was like, Brazil, we speak Portuguese. And I was like, yeah, right. Uh, 19 years old, maybe it's time to learn that. Um, but yeah, no, so, so moments like that where, you know, I got to explore that curiosity and really understand people and meet people and connect to that purpose of learning, um, was really how it kind of allowed me to settle, allowed me to recenter and, and manage a lot of these mindset shifts and changes that, um, that I was having while I was there. Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, you know, you, you use the word isolation or being isolated, you know, a couple of times. And would you say that, you know, the more you kind of got in and, you know, the more you learned the language, the more you kind of talked to people, like learned about, you know, different cultures and, you know, perhaps in Brazil, they speak like Portuguese. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, in China, there's like the, <laughs> the this, that and the other. Would you say like once you've kind of become more comfortable with knowing these things, it broke down those barriers and then you felt like less isolated? Because uh, I think that's such like a key component. Like most people are fearful of like what they don't yeah. know um, and it, it almost like subconsciously. So it's not necessarily that like, you know, they're against like people or uh, anything like that, or, or they feel like they're just like, you know, isolated and 
they can't like connect with anyone else. But I think if you make like that effort to just like really learn and like want to learn, like you just break down those barriers and you're like, oh, wow. Like actually we do have a lot in common now that I like know these things. Uh, and, and essentially you can just keep going and you learn more and more and more, and then you're able to connect those other cultures. Uh, and that's something I've like always ab- admired about you. You've mm-hmm. kind of taken those like leaps and especially like now being in the middle East, it's a completely mm-hmm. different like culture as well. Uh, so just, just want to mention that. I think that's like really, uh, you know, admirable. Um, so along those same lines, I wanted to ask you about, you know, I realized you know, during that time. Uh, that we studied abroad in China, I think, uh, as for a lot of us, you know, y- your worldview started changing and becoming, I would say, almost like more progressive mm-hmm. and such, uh, although you still kept like your, your faith very grounded. Um, but tell me a little bit about kind of how your worldview like expanded yeah. and how perhaps uh, some of those like, uh, you know, faith-based things that you grew up with, you know, within Christianity, uh, perhaps like, slightly like shifted or, yeah. uh, you know, evolved as, as you kind of, yeah, grew up in, and especially when you studied yeah. abroad. Um, so I have two, two things to mention on this. Um, the first is mm-hmm. again, around faith. I think from the faith perspective, I was almost very proud of my religious views and very proud of, um, the cultural affiliation to religion if we can say it like that, you know, like in, in the South growing mm-hmm. up, you were the church that you went to. Um, and everyone in Dallas has a church that they go to, right? Like, it's just, it's part of it. Mm. It's part of the culture. So I had a lot of pride tied up in that. Right. Um, and I think for me, the biggest learning was stripping away the pride of that because there's no pride in faith in Shanghai. Um, if anything, it's, it's a little abnormal. Um, so really stripping away Mm. that ego and stripping away, like the thoughts that I had had out of pride. For example, like a a very literal interpretation of the Bible for me was something I was very proud of. Um, But then the more I understood about the world, the more that I understood about myself and the more I understood about um, just how I interpret faith, um, looking at um, a a text of faith as something that's divinely inspired, that is something that um, you can get um, good uh, guidance from, but then also being realistic about, um, you know, what faith actually is, what, what faith should be, which is something that is very personal, very internal and and something that really, you can take pride in it for yourself, but really not for the affiliation, but more for the, the sense of peace and positivity and energy that it gives you rather than the affiliation. So that was the first thing was um, just kind of like a more raw sense of faith and a more expanded sense of faith Um, and my impression. Then the second thing was how to explore my curiosity. I think (laughs) similar to the situation earlier with, um, you know, oh yeah, Brazil, Spanish. Um, I think there were a lot of those moments with the people that we studied abroad with that I would like ask questions or I would, I would want to see something or I'd want to explore something. And the people in our program were very generous to say like, listen, you can't assume things like that, or you can't ask things like that, or you have to ease into things like this. I think that was a really big learning for me because 
I was so eager to learn. I was so eager to explore curiosity that I think sometimes I would like either make an incorrect assumption and end up offending someone. I would um, phrase a question in a way that sounded like it was coming from a place of judgment. Um, and that to me was so critical. And I think something that um, hopefully one day I'll be able to pass on to other people from my experience exploring curiosity in a way that was maybe a little too direct um, or too um, tied up in understanding the wrong thing. Um, and, and sometimes I think I was prone to knowing something or exploring curiosity to feed my ego. And I think that was also something that I learned was that when you're exploring your curiosity, you have to make sure that it's for a beneficial purpose and for something that is to make the world a better place, not just to make you seem like a subject matter expert or to make you seem like you're the best or whatever. Um, I think the, the purpose behind exploring curiosity should always be out of a place of furthering understanding, furthering um, multicultural communication, furthering that um, uh, maybe appreciation of isolation, but the minimum or the minimizing of the negative effects of isolation. Um, I think, uh, you know, the whole concept of isolation, to go back to that, I think I found a, a very abnormal beauty in isolation um, because I think it was in those moments of intense isolation that I got the rare opportunity to, to completely understand myself um, and have no other noise around me um, where I could just sit and center. And, and, you know, now in Dubai, I feel like throughout the COVID um, crisis and through um, just living abroad for now, six going on seven years, there have been a lot of moments of that isolation, but flipping the mindset to really appreciating that isolation for what it is um, and growing through that. I, I love that. I love that you brought that up because I think that's, uh, yeah, such an important thing while traveling and especially like living abroad. Uh, Cause I, I can relate to what you said so mm -hmm. much uh, being in Shanghai, like, and actually that was the first time in my life uh, that I started like journaling. Mm -hmm. and, Cause I just felt like I wanted to express like kind of this, like, Hey, I'm like, I feel like very on my own. I'm in this like new country on uh, and honestly, like still felt very new at the university. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't know anyone in the program, like at all before mm -hmm. going there. And I really felt like I had to like, you know, learn who I was in order to really be able to like communicate with everyone there and also find my place, not only in like our local community, but also in like, you know, Shanghai in this like city of 22 million people. And also, but I remember feeling like it was really cool because I felt very surrounded by this like big city and there's always stuff to do. And it was yeah. like very exciting. But, uh, but, you know, I'd find like those, those isolated spots, like, uh, you know, the bench at the jaw, uh, at the jaw and yeah. like, we just like journal or like take on my guitar and like hang out. Um, and it was a very kind of peaceful, like introspective experience. And I think like a lot of people in the program went yeah. through that. Uh, and it sounds like you almost had like a 2.0 version of that or perhaps a 3.0 version of that now, you know, 10 years later in a completely new environment in, in the United Arab Emirates. I, I would say what you said in that moment about the bench and the jaw, did you ever watch Winnie the Pooh? You know yes, how, yes, that was one of my... You know how yeah. Winnie had his like thinking spot? Like he had like a log where he would go and he would like think. 
Yeah. Yeah. To me, I had those places in Shanghai that like when I was grappling with those feelings of isolation or, you know, needing to recenter or whatever, it's a physical place that you go to. And I think Winnie the Pooh nailed it. Like, I think if you have that spot, then that can be almost your physical reminder of your needing to be with yourself and really needing to focus. Um, in Shanghai, the second time for me, there was a, um, an old abandoned church that had like a little churchyard in front of it. And I remember I would just go there and like do the same thing that you did, like journaling about like the things that I thought, the things that, um, that were feeding my energy, the things that were taking away my energy. Um, and really the disconnect that I had with myself in the moment. Um, I feel like fortunately, like living in an uncomfortable or uh, unusual environment can really allow you to, to, understand what makes you tick and like what things cause you to kind of lose balance or lose focus. Um, and then when you're in that spot, that physical Winnie the Pooh thinking spot, you can really focus on kind of those, those elements that really fill your cup. Very well said. Uh, one thing I remember, actually one of my kind of fondest memories, uh, in, in, university with you was when we would have kind of our deep mm. talks uh like right behind the chapel and i remember there was one time you were saying that uh you know I, what i one thing i really like about you is you have this like pursuit of like the truth mm. right which uh i feel like i do as well i just want to know like what is the truth and i remember you telling me that you actually read all like a lot of the different religious mm. books like the quran and like the torah and you actually sat down and like read them and, you know, with an open mind trying to think like, Hey, is there like some truth in yeah. this? And you'd always kind of, you know, come to certain conclusions, but also be like still open-minded about the possibilities. And that really stuck with me because most people they'll kind of like take like anecdotes or like little, you know, snippets from other people about like their opinions on certain things, but you actually like yourself sat down mm -hmm read through it, made your own kind of informed judgments. And, and I really like that. Do, do you still kind of take like a similar approach, uh, to, to all things in life? Cause I, I feel like that's, that's quite unique. Most people don't take like the time to really sit down and do that at a deep level. Totally. You know? I, I'll give you an example of something that recently, um, I, I was able to explore a little more, you know, in Dubai, one of the most amazing things about this city is if you wanted to meet a type of person in the world, Dubai has it like Dubai has every single type of human being on the face of the planet. And it's, it's super interesting to me because, um, as someone that loves to explore curiosity, I can always ask, um, questions. And generally when you're in an environment like this, people kind of like that. Um, people kind of like you wanting to know more about them or their, their upbringing or their home or their culture, their religion, whatever. Um, they're, they're very open to sharing. Um, and so I still do that, especially from a faith perspective, because Dubai is a place of faith. Um, people do take religion very seriously here. The national religion is Islam. Um, and so I've learned more about Islam than I ever had access to um, in any other place. Um, and there's a, a significant beauty in Islam um, that I've, I've gotten to explore and I've gotten to appreciate and also um, challenge some of my own religious convictions based on what I've learned about Islam. Um, 
as an example, this is not Islam, but um, the Baha'i faith is also present in Dubai. Um, and the Baha'i faith started in Iran, um, very global religion now, um, and has a, has a few overlaps actually with um, many faiths. Um, but the, the conversation that I had with um, one of the followers of this faith was around the afterlife. Um, and to me, afterlife is something that from a, from a childhood perspective was very, very scary um, because the concept of salvation is, is something in some communities that is very select and is very narrow. Um, and to, to be honest, I, I felt like a lot of times growing up, my faith was to avoid damnation rather than to enjoy salvation, if that makes sense, which has a psychological impact on a lot of things. Um, but understanding the Baha'i um, concept of afterlife and um, uh, apologies for any Baha'i uh, uh, listeners that uh, if I if I get this wrong, please drop into my DMs and let me know. Um, but my understanding of what my friend said was that the afterlife is about the proximity to God um, and your closeness to God is determined by the things that you do in your life that bring good to mankind and bring good to the world. Um, and obviously to be closer to that eternal source of light um, is something that you want to work your life towards. Um, that way you're not too proximal um, or too distant from that source of light and truth. Um, and that to me, wow, like uh, honestly, that to me took away the binary concept of heaven and hell, um, which again could exist. I, like it's, it's not for me to say if that's true or not, but it gave me an alternative perspective of what the afterlife could be, which still aligns with my vision of needing to, to fill this earth with like the, the truth, purpose, light, um, warmth, energy of what my faith says is important. Um, so that, that has given me an alternative perspective that's actually given me an insight into how significant my views were of the afterlife and how, um, in some ways, that's hurt me in the past. And that's re really been something for me to process and understand. Um, and, you know, kind of the, the cringy part of this is sometimes I'll share these thoughts with people back home, um, but people back home don't necessarily align with that. Um, so there are many, many times that I've shared thoughts around different faiths or different understandings or different mindsets, different um, approaches to life with people back home. Um, and their first reaction is like, oh, like interesting or like, yeah, OK, um, so what are your plans this weekend? You know, like a very quick um, railroad track change. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think from that perspective, still very actively pursuing that truth um, and understanding how, how my faith can be strengthened from understanding uh, kind of more about, about the world. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting um, you said that because like similarly, I think for me and a lot of you know, other people that I, I've spoken to as well who are kind of on this like, you know, pursuit of like truth, unrelenting pursuit of truth. Uh, and really constantly exploring to figure out what that is. The big kind of aha moment, you know, for me was similar to you, like, well, so what happens like once we die? Cause I had this like very specific, you know, honestly set of stories that I was told, like, this is what's going to happen. And it, I, I just kind of like blindly believed it, but also didn't quite make sense mm -hmm. to me like ever. And then, um, 
you know, fast forward to now, I, I really feel like, uh, you know, our souls never die. Yeah. Like we're here having like a human experience. Um, and no matter what happens, like, you know, we'll still be able to like connect with those in the afterlife or heaven or the light or source or whatever you want to yeah. call it. Um, and so as soon as I like really kind of believe that I was like, well, what does that mean then for like, you know, world religions? And then if you really think about it, there's a lot of kind of these common threads with each one where you have, you know, typically like a leader or like, a, you know, perhaps a, like a messiah or someone who's, uh, you know, is able to like, you know, lead a community uh, in these types of teachings. But ultimately, if you really break it down, it just breaks down to like, you know, love one another. And, you know, there's obviously a lot of verses in the different, you know, books of religion uh, that, you know, talk about this. Uh, and then it's also just really like being accepting of like others and honestly just going through life, like not doing, you know, things like with, with malintent, right, is to really do things that are for, you know, the greater good of humanity and doing it like through love and peace and support and compassion. Uh, so, so yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think, um, it's, it's very interesting kind of going through like that journey and, and talking to like people who've arrived, you know, and, in, in different conclusions, uh, when it comes to like, you know, world face and religions and, and what you believe. So, uh, Hey guys, so at this point, actually the software kind of crashed and uh, we lost Clay for a little bit. So uh, there's a little bit of a pause here, but then he came back on and I just continued asking uh, the next question. So I just wanted to let you know that's what happened here. Uh, all right, so back to the to the interview. So uh, so I have a last couple, couple questions for you. Um, having had this like, you know, vast kind of travel like experience, and you know exploring a lot of different cultures and places uh will you ever come back to la la absolutely so so here's here's the life plan if i could have like a life plan um i'd like to be in dubai a while i think um you know the the longer i live here the more i learn and i i love that i feel like it's very um interesting i think due to you lifestyle um plans that I have for myself. I don't think that I'm going to live in Dubai forever. Um, so I'm thinking at, at the point that I find it's time to leave, um, if I am single, then I will move to New York. And if I'm in a relationship, I will move to LA. I think that's kind of the good balance between the two. Um, of course, this is going to be depending on jobs, I guess, and uh, career prospects. But um, in my mind, if I'm single New York, if I'm, you know, hitched or whatever, LA. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, I have a, a selfish master plan, uh, similar to yours, but it's, it's centered around having as many people that I really admire and care about and love back in LA. Um, and actually it's working. I I've gotten a lot of my friends from the UK, uh, to move out here. Um, and, uh, and convincing people also, yep, I went to, that's right. All day. People hate on LA. Uh, I get it. You know, it's it's a weird place, uh, and all, but I uh, I'm honestly a huge Los Angeles uh, advocate. So, um, all right. So, so we just need to. You no, know, I think the best thing about LA is that you have the the most dynamic energy in the country because everyone's a dreamer there. 
you know, like you have people that come to pursue their dreams, that make their dreams, people that haven't uh, achieved their dreams yet, people that have broken dreams. You know, the, the whole dynamism of um, the concept of dreams in L.A. is is what I love so much about it. Um, and I think, yeah, there, there are a lot of negatives. Traffic, uh, like, I don't know, traffic, traffic. Yeah, exactly. Well, I don't know. I lived in China. Um, I, I think the biggest thing for me is that you're, did you ever watch that music video by 30 seconds to Mars called city of angels? There's one where they're in a temple and they all have like the mass and that one's really cool. Is that what? No, it's filmed in a, uh, that was another one. So you're talking about different one. Okay. That that's another great one. That's another great one. But no, this this one um, is kind of a, an homage to L.A. Um, and what it talks about is, you know, people coming to L.A., pursuing their dream, um, how, how it beats them down sometimes. But, you know, everyone's on that journey. Um, and it interviews people like everyone from like Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen and like, um, uh, you know, all of these high list celebrities all the way down, that's the only two I could think of, um, all the way down to people that have been trying for years to break into uh, Hollywood and have not made any progress and are now doing, you know, um, uh, things that are totally unrelated um, and sometimes like homeless or and other situations like this. It interviews a huge wide array of people. But every time I watch that music video, I get so amped up on moving back to L.A. Because it, it is a city of, of dreams. It's a city of pursuit. It's a city of ambition. It's, it's all of these things that, yeah, like, okay, traffic, uh, pollution, sometimes, you know, um, I don't know you don't cook your Korean barbecue all the way. And sometimes you get uh, sick from that. Um, with all the negatives, I think the incredible positive energy that you get from that city is, is something you can't neglect. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and being by the ocean with great weather all year round is also a big plus, but honestly, you, you totally touched like my, you know, so part two of my plan, my master plan is everyone who moves back that I love and admire and care about, I like create and build something with them, whether it's like at a high level or not. Um, so I have like, uh, I've like, I think now like seven business ideas that I'm actively like pursuing and I'm starting to do them with people like I, I love and enjoy. Um, so anyways, you, you're, you're likely part of that plan. Uh, if you do move back. So I just need to get you hitched. I, I need to do some matchmaking, uh, for you over there. Yeah. 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 Good luck. Good luck. I think, uh, uh recent experiences have indicated that it's going to take a long time. <laughs> uh, well, we'll see. Uh, I, I, I feel like, yeah, I, I can, you're a, uh, a, a charming, uh, lad and I feel like we can definitely get you the right person. Um, yeah, maybe just a little psycho. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, we all are. Um, in our own ways. Um, okay. So I want to, uh, cover one last thing before we go. Uh, and this is kind of, a, a um, yeah, a little bit different of a topic than what we've talked about. But one thing that I've noticed that you've been very passionate about throughout the years is the support of the epilepsy foundation. Um, and I do know why I think it's, you know, something that, uh, you know, is near and dear to your heart, uh, cause you know, someone in your family, so I just wanted to give you kind of a, a quick opportunity to, to talk about that. Um, and I remember you, uh, you did a really cool charity event right after college 
Uh, and you made this like step and repeat wall. I, it was like postcards or something. Um, do you remember that? Yeah, that was like 10 years ago. That was very impressive. You remember. Oh, I remember going with my, my friend, um, James and like took a photo and it was a lot of fun. Um, but I, I just wanted you to, you know, perhaps like shed a little bit of light on that and just talk about that a little bit and why it's near and dear to your heart. And then also how could people kind of support that cause a little bit further? Um, hold on. Give me a second to collect myself. Cause this is like, um, a more emotional topic than I think like a lot of other topics for me. So epilepsy is, um, a neurological condition for those that don't know, uh, that causes, um, kind of, uh, unanticipated seizures. Uh, and, and those seizures can look different, right? Like there are traditional seizures, which are motor involved and involve, um, things like, um, jerking and, um, a loss of, uh, complete control. Uh, but then there are also uh, non-motor impacting seizures that can be uh, something that you don't even notice someone having. So epilepsy is a very broad uh, neurological disorder. Um, and people living with the epilepsies are, are constantly affected by this. Um, so with this, my brother was diagnosed with epilepsy when he was about 12. And the the impact that it's had on his life and our family's life has been significant. Living abroad has also been uh, challenging with that, but because of his strength, he um, manages it in an incredible way. Uh, so the <clears throat> focus of the Epilepsy Foundation is to provide support and awareness and education for um, others, for educational institutions, from uh, hospitals to uh, workplaces, to be better informed and more aware of how to um, interact with people that have epilepsy or that are living with the epilepsies um, and have uh, resources available for those that uh, are afflicted and might have an incident that requires some type of um, attention. So uh, for me, that, that charity event that I did a while ago was to raise money for uh, the walk to end epilepsy. Essentially, this is something that uh, happens across the country um, and hopefully internationally soon. Um, but it, it really drives the engagement of the community um, through kind of a run walk um, to raise money for the Epilepsy Foundation and also kind of further the cause. Um, November is Epilepsy Awareness Month. Uh, the color of epilepsy is purple. So uh, if you know someone with epilepsy, ask for their story, um, have, have some sharing time with them, um, and try and educate and learn a little bit about um, ways that you can kind of support those with uh, living with the epilepsies um, and people that are afflicted by um, any kind of seizures that uh, they're not able to cure. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of my stand for the Epilepsy Foundation. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful organization. I actually just finished um, kind of an orientation to become an ambassador, um, like an awareness ambassador, which, you know, ideally you wouldn't get emotional every time you talk about it. But it's a very heavy topic for me because it's, um, you know, going back to the Southern culture of family, uh, it's something that uh, it's number one priority. So with, with anything to do with family. I think everyone's affected. Uh, but that's why I think that organizations like this are so important and can have such a powerful impact. Um, 
Yeah. And great news is uh, my uh, younger brother has not had a seizure in about six months, uh, which is amazing for him at his uh, kind of trough. That was uh, maybe every other week. Uh, so it is something that uh, is a super big win for him. And he's done a lot of things in his life to kind of um, accommodate to make sure that it doesn't happen. So it's not it's not six months without a lot, a lot of work and effort and uh, appointments and medication and things like this. Uh, but he's he's honestly um, done so much with uh, with living with epilepsy. So yeah, thank you for asking that. I, <laughs> curveball, I didn't really expect a question around the Epilepsy Foundation, but yeah, amazing charity, amazing um, uh, organization to support. Uh, and again, uh, we all have those things in life, uh, but for me, that's uh, probably the most important. Um, so yeah, I appreciate you sharing all that. And sorry, it was kind of a curveball, but I did have it in my notes, and I knew that was something very important to you. And I and I honestly, I wanted to 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 bring it up. Um, so you mentioned the foundation. I mean, what is the best way people can like support, uh, whether it's through like a donation or maybe even like take a step further to like host like one of the, the, the walks, like where, where can they find more information or what's the best way to like s support um, this cause? Yeah, totally. Um, so if you go to the Epilepsy Foundation's website, they will have a walk in almost every major U.S. city. Um, and that walk happens once a year. And if you just go and, and um, kind of sign up and do the, the walk, I had um, maybe four friends that did the walk with me in Los Angeles the last time I was living there. And it was an incredibly... Uh, powerful thing because you see these families right and and you're kind of around these people that are afflicted by it and and you learn so much about the experience but then also how how you can kind of um support people that um, are afflicted with that or that uh, have family members that are afflicted with that. Um, the other thing I would say is through the Epilepsy Foundation website also um with the um kind of uh like walk to end epilepsy uh information page. They have like a one pager that you can have in your workplace um, that is about what the proper protocol is if someone begins having a motor impacting seizure. Um, so again, the um, non-motor impacting seizures are a little bit easier to, um, they're harder to identify, but they're easier to manage uh, because generally there's uh, not as much that's happening during a non-motor impacting. But for a motor impacting uh, seizure, there are a lot of um, kind of uh, protocol. There's not too much protocol, but enough protocol that you really want to make sure that you're doing the right thing in that moment. Um, probably the biggest thing is to keep them on their side. A lot of people think that the proper way is to keep them on their back. Um, the, the biggest thing, too, is um, if they're having a motor impacting seizure, um, make sure they're in a safe and like comfortable place because um, there's going to be a lot of unpredictable things that might happen during that uh, seizure. Um, and then finally, never put anything in their mouth. Um, something that I think was was common knowledge before was to, to put something to suppress their tongue so they don't chew the tongue off. Uh, but putting them on their side really circumvents uh, most of that. Um, and again, because of the lack of predictability, if you do put anything in their mouth, it could uh, become a huge hazard to them and potentially to you. Um, so yeah, those are like the fast facts. Um, Epilepsy Foundation website is very good with resources um, and support mechanisms and also how you can get involved with the walk to end up epilepsy. 
um, that that charity thing that I did ages ago was um, just kind of a one-off because I wanted to raise money for the walk to end epilepsy. Um, but, uh, but yeah, just even participating or um, donating money to one of the chapters, I think is a great way of, of showing that support. Amazing. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll put a link below, you know, wherever it, it definitely be on YouTube. So I'll put a link below to like the foundation and um, yeah, I'll try and find that one sheeter because I, I think that's great. Because uh, yeah, I think a lot of like, you know, uh, people who aren't as like familiar, you know, might not know like the, the correct procedures and you know, what to do in a situation like that. So even you just sharing that, like putting them on their side, because, um, you know, I knew about the tongue thing, but uh, it, it just makes sense. Um, you know, for you to position someone like that. And then also, you know, just like I, I think CPR or any other kind of life-changing, uh, you know, th things you could equip yourself with to know if someone's going through something like that is like very crucial. So, um, and I think, I think too, also, sorry for one last plug on this. I think um, we use humor a lot in uh, a very casual context. Um, and I think something that I've noticed that people can do to kind of curb daily behavior is um, avoid making uh, uh, jokes about seizures, avoid making um, kind of insensitive remarks about people with epilepsy or people having a seizure. I think a lot of times, you know, you see someone dancing on the dance floor and like, you know, uh, like doing something really quickly or something like that. And people will often just casually say like, oh, look, it's, they're having a seizure or something like that. Um, those words have impact. Um, and, you know, in the, in the same realm of sensitivity that you would have with um, other conditions, this is also one of those that I think um, impact people and like the, the words that you're using can have an impact on someone that could be afflicted and you don't know. My brother looks, actually, he's much taller than me and some would argue more handsome, but I, I view myself as more handsome. Um, but looking at him, you would never know that he has epilepsy. Um, and so when people make jokes like that around him, it, it affects him in some sort of way. Um, so I think that is a, another important kind of daily tip to um, kind of avoid the, the, the quick laugh um, and, and be cognizant that you know people are actually uh, suffering with this condition. Yeah, absolutely. I think people, you know, often forget words have meaning and also those meanings can mean different things to different people. So only because, you know, you think that might be like a joke or something that you can just throw out there and maybe even if it's popular in culture or whatever it is, doesn't mean that uh, that meaning towards other people and also what it represents is not the same as the way you view it. So I think that's a, a good reminder. Um, so I do want to end with this. Um, you know, in all uh, episodes here, uh, even though it's a new podcast, I'm still, you know, trying to figure things out. Um, one thing that I really want to do is, uh, is, is, you know, honor the guests that I have on the, on here. And um, I always do a custom art piece for each guest. Uh, now, I, I honestly booked you uh, pretty recently. So um, I... Uh, and and very honestly, also, I thought uh, I got my the timing mixed up, as you know, and thought this was uh, and another time with the time difference, like tomorrow. Um, but also, I always I want to make sure that the art pieces are thoughtful. So I, I first of all want to like sincerely apologize. I actually don't have one for you here today to show you, but I will a thousand percent get you one. And uh, and honestly, it's it's more like selfishly in some ways an expression of like. 
me and kind of how I, you know, honor and our, our you know, friendship and, and relationship. So, uh, and also touch on kind of, I think, hopefully some things are important to you. So I will get that over to you. But I do want to mention this literally just popped in my head. Um, maybe we can also do something around, I know someone who does auctions, like for charities too. Uh, and just talking about the Epilepsy Foundation, like you really got me you know, thinking about like, you know, good ways we can like support that. So maybe, you know, we can uh, do something with like art or do like a unique art piece um, that, uh, you know, we could sell or, or find a way to like leverage it to, to raise money um, or, or something along those lines. Uh, but maybe we can talk about that more, but, um, but yeah, first of all, I want to apologize, but I think, I think this also could be a cool opportunity to perhaps work on something together, um, which could be fun. Absolutely. Yeah. I would really appreciate that. I think, um, any, any way to kind of give back to an organization like this or, or any organization that really furthers the life of people that, that are suffering with a condition, uh, I think that's the best kind of karma, if you will, or the best kind of energy you can put out. Um, so always happy, uh, with ideas like that. Mm. Yeah. So, so actually one thing that, you know, I do with our, is it, our business is we specialize in doing people's life stories, but maybe we can do kind of either something around like the story of the epilepsy foundation, or perhaps something that's like, uh, an artistic like guide as well, maybe to, um, you know, for people so they can like become more familiar with it, familiar with the history of it. Um, and, and yeah, essentially like communicate that in a creative way too. Um, but yeah. Um, but anyways, uh, Clay, thank you so much for taking the time to do this podcast with me. Uh, I, I always love catching up with you. Um, I, I really appreciate when you, uh, shoot me a text whenever you're visiting and we go and like, uh, you know, catch up. Um, and I always love our conversations. So, uh, thank you so much. And is there any kind of last words of like wisdom or any like last, you know, messages or parting words that you'd like to give to the listeners and, and viewers out there before we, uh, before we end? Uh, you know, honestly, I thought, I thought your, uh, wrap up was going to be like that. So I was kind of panicking in my mind, like, okay, what, what do I, how do I recap all of this? I think for me, it would be, if I could summarize it all in, in one phrase, um, it would be delight in your isolation um, because it's in those moments where you'll truly center with yourself. Um, I think that that for me has had a tremendous impact on my time abroad um, and really um, in, in assessing who I am as a person, what my purpose is um, and how that purpose doesn't change uh, in the different chapters of life that I have. It's, it's through that isolation that I've really learned what is authentically, truly 100% me um, and how I impact the world and make the world a better place because of that, um, that sense of purpose. So delight in that isolation uh, because then you'll fully center with yourself. Amazing. Uh, incredible last words. Uh, Clay, thank you so much again for, for being on the Sagan Experience. And uh, yeah, hopefully I'll, I'll see you again soon. Sounds great. Looking forward to the art piece. <laughs> All right. All right. Take care. Thank you, everyone. Bye.